Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. I want to bring to your attention a crucial item that is going to propel you in your spiritual growth, or were you to neglect this item and go the other way, it is going to cripple you in your spiritual life. Let me explain. Many of us have come to believe in Jesus Christ, and we are thankful that He saved us from the muck and mire and the deplorable condition of our sinfulness. And we have hymns that attest to this deliverance. Amazing grace, how sweet this sound that saved a wretch like me. And that is so good, that is so true. But if you drill down into the heart of that sin issue, you will see that many of us, even though we have been saved, we continue to look back upon our sinful condition. And we cultivate somehow the preachers, the books, uh, Christianity, um, somehow it's, it's fixated on this issue of perpetual sinfulness. And we continue to revisit this idea that I'm a wretched man. I'm a miserable man. I I need rescuing. I call it a sin consciousness. And in this message, you're going to learn that it's important for us to have a sin consciousness. Otherwise, we will have no need for a Messiah or a Savior. But herein is the stunting also of our spiritual progress. If like Lot's wife, we are delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah, we are now on a journey towards newness, towards restoration, towards life. But many of us, like Lot's wife, we choose rather to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, and as a result... We freeze up in our spiritual lives, much like she froze up in a pillar of salt. This is the condition for many of us, and we cannot understand why am I not transforming as a person? Why am I not bearing the fruit of my salvation in Christ, beloved? It's because your consciousness is still trained according to the old nature, the old sinful reality before you met Christ. On the other hand, if you do want to grow and you do want to bear the fruit pertaining to righteousness and you do want to experience this thing called sanctification, transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, then you have to, like Lot's wife, Keep your face towards your new reality in Christ. And you have to cultivate and steward that consciousness. There are not many songs out there, many hymns out there, many books out there 
that teaches us our new consciousness in Jesus Christ. Beloved, it is such a foreign concept to many of us. All we've been trained is to look back at the amazing grace and our pitiful, wretched condition. But few of us realize that it's the same amazing grace that carries us forward into the spiritual life. At the end of this message, I want to circle back to this amazing grace that carries us onward in the spiritual life as much as it rescued us at the upstart of the spiritual life. In which consciousness do you live? The sinful self-consciousness or the consciousness of Christ in you? If you are one of those who say, I have been born of the Spirit of God, then by default, if indeed that spirit birth was a legitimate encounter with God, whether you were a kid or an adult, but as a result of an encounter with God, something transpired within your deepest inner man. Your spirit man was touched by God and a fresh breath of resurrection was breathed into that spirit man. I call it a spirit man, but ladies, you have a spirit woman, but your spirit is gender neutral, so we just say your inner man, your inner core, your spirit, if you will. Now, that spirit man that had been resurrected, that came alive, that's been brought out of death and into the life of God, that spirit man has to grow. It has to be fed. It has to be nurtured inasmuch as you were born physically and your physical person had to be grown over time and through process and through feeding and through nurture. The same has to happen to you and I's spirit man. The initial few days we were together, my biggest burden and agenda was just to make you aware of the spirit man. Then I changed course just a little bit to try to show you that if you are born of God, not only is your spirit man made alive, resurrected, inbreathed by God, but now you will begin to experience under the hand of God, through time, through process, you will begin to experience a crossing over in your life. This is the default for every person born of God, you now have to grow in God. You have to mature in God. And so you have to learn to eat God. You have to learn to assimilate God into your being. The way that you take bread and it is metabolized into your being for energy and strength, the same now has to happen to my spirit, man. I have to learn to pray. I have to learn to call on the name of the Lord. I have to learn to, with conviction and with love, say the name of Jesus. I have to begin to learn to worship Him, uh, obey Him, and incline my ear to Him, etc., etc., etc. But what happens? As you have a continual interaction with your Lord, you will begin to experience a crossing over in your life. I talked about that last week, 
just a little bit. Abraham, who was a man without God, then an encounter with God, then he commences a journey with God. This man began to be crossing over in every possible dimension of his life. You cannot say that you're born of God and stay in Ur of the Chaldeans or in Babylonian captivity or in Egyptian slavery. You can't stay there for the remainder of your life. If you're born of God, you will experience the moving of God within you to push you, to, to lead you, to come out and to come in. Which is, by the way, what the word ecclesia also means. Ecclesia is our Greek word for church. And it simply means an assembly. Before the word church, as you and I know it, or ecclesia in the Greek became a word for the gathering of Christians, ecclesia was just the gathering of Greeks. But they came out of their homes to an intentional gathering point. They came out to gather. They came out to enter into discussion. That process was called ecclesia, that gathering. And that's really what the church is in a way. We are people who came out of sin, out of death, out of the world, out of Egypt. And God has brought us into the gathering of the sons and daughters of God, the ecclesia. So you should experience this. Over time and through many processes, God will begin to do a crossing over work in your life. And that crossing over work is what makes you a Hebrew. That is, that DNA of Abraham, the first Hebrew who crossed over, that DNA in Christ and in spirit has rubbed off on you. So God is going to cause you to become a a child of Abraham somehow, um, a Hebrew, so to speak. And a Hebrew is just somebody who left and cleaves. Then I explained to you, God will not put this crossing over um, mandate all on you. It's not as though God just saves you and then say, okay, you take it from here, tag, you're it. When God saves you, he will continue to stay involved in my life. He will continue to infuse grace into me, spirit into me. He wants to infuse His mind into me so that by the Lord I cross over. So genuinely everything is of God, it is through God, and therefore it can actually be unto God. So this crossing over this renewal work, this restorative work, this redemptive work, this sanctification work, this transformative work in your life, it's, it's God. He will take care of it uh, by His grace, by His Spirit, by His power, by His might. All that you and I have to do is learn to position ourselves in humility, learn to position ourselves in faith, learn to position ourselves in uh, uh, hope, uh, in, in, in obedience. There's surrender, there's submission. There's a few basic things that we take care of, our consecration, our heart, our devotion, and God takes care of the tough stuff. All right. Here now is today's lesson. I'm in this process. I am in a crossing over 
dynamic. There is now a new way of living that the Lord has in store for you. On this side of the river, there's a new dynamic. And it's that dynamic that I want to bring to your attention today. Here in Egypt, we lived by a sin consciousness. It was all about me that's the slave. It's all about me that cannot fulfill my destiny. It's all about me that is a victim. It's a sin consciousness. So my interaction with God is constantly, what more can I do? What have I done? Why is God against me? Uh, why is God hiding from me? Um, constantly, you are keeping a little bit of score as to all of the things that you've missed, all of the things you're yet to do. Bottom line is, you have a sin consciousness. But once you are rescued from, delivered from Egypt, and God brings you now through the wilderness, and God brings you into the good land that is Jesus the Christ, God wants you to begin to grow into a life consciousness, a Christ consciousness, a Holy Spirit consciousness, a God consciousness, which, by the way, is what your spirit is meant to do. Your flesh and your soul is constantly going to mind the self, mind the sin, mind the things in which you fall short, mind your weakness. You're constantly going to fixate. I'm just not smart enough. I can't figure this out. I don't feel God. I, I, I don't have the right friends. Woe is me. Life is just so tough. Bondage. And a lot of folk live in Christ, but with a consciousness of Egypt. And it's egocentric. It's self-centric. It's still carnal. It's still, by and large, solical. They're constantly evaluating in their walk with God their own selves when we pray. We pray about ourselves. We pray about our predicament. We're anxious. We're nervous. We're constantly bringing sin before the Lord, whether we've committed sin or not. We just try to confess something. Why? We're sin conscious, and rightfully so. There is a stage in your journey with God where you have to have a strong consciousness of sin. Because if you don't have that strong consciousness, you may never cry out for a Savior, for a Messiah, for a healer, if you will. But now, beloved, we've gone to the doctor. The doctor has set our bones. The bones are growing in the cast, and I'm allowed to leave the hospital. I am allowed to leave Egypt. God is rescuing me. The physician has healed me. Now, that cast is allowed to come off. Um, my bones have been healed. My body has been healed. I'm a healed person. But many of us live outside of the hospital, still in the mindset of the hospital, still in the mindset that I'm so sick, I'm so broken, when really the bones have been healed, it's time to play soccer. It's, it's time to engage life. And you can have a life consciousness, a Christ consciousness. I'm a saved person. I'm a redeemed person, etc., etc. But here's the thing. Many of us have long been healed by our physician, but we maintain our sin consciousness. 
we maintain our life in the old Adamic nature and we fixate on our badness, on our sinful, wretched, deplorableness. When Christ is crossing us over, we should begin to enjoy our new creation realities, our adoption, our sonship being brought back into the house. You know, we were prodigals. Yes, we were. You can't deny that. And we have to tell the prodigal somehow, you've sinned. But after the father puts a robe on the prodigal and puts sandals on his feet and gives him a ring, the father no longer treats him as a wayward prodigal. He says, my son has come home. Prepare the fatted calf. It is good to preach sin and tell folk they're sinners and put the law of God in front, front of folk. And yes, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But that is no longer my testimony on this side of the river. Okay? When we came out of Egypt, we are no longer a slave people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy people. And we've got to begin to think in the line of holiness and righteousness in life. When the Israelites were in the desert, they continued to look back to Egypt. Why did you bring us into the desert to die? It would be better if we just lived in Egypt with the old food there and the old customs there and the old slave mentality. And Moses had a tough time. God had a really tough time for the Israelite people, the Hebrew people to live according to their new identity. This is hard, admittedly. Why? Because my old nature still wants to think the old way when God's Spirit is wanting me to begin to think according to the new way. And so today's lesson is not to say we don't have sin. But if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation and his mind begins to change and his consciousness, what is on his consciousness, should no longer be just sin, 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 and decadence and waywardness and depravity, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Who now lives in you, sin or Christ? And if we say Christ lives in you, do we dare say that you're completely eradicated from sin? But my being is more conscious towards Christ in me than sin in me. Can you hear what I'm saying? I want to start off here with two passages in which this phrase occurs in the writings of Paul. I have them printed out on your notes for you. You would do well to look in your Bible in due time, maybe circle it and highlight it. But it's as though there are now two ways to live life. Either way, it's no longer you who live life. Two entities can now take a hold of you. And two entities can be predominant within your being. And here in Romans 7, Paul explains this one entity that is uh, large and in charge within him. Romans chapter 7, verses 17. Paul says, It is no longer I that work it out. 
or practice it. But it is sin that dwells within me. No longer I, but sin who lives within me. So you see here a man dominated by the power and the influence of sin. And if you read Romans 7 and you were to study it with me, and of course I have a, a bunch of messages on it also, you'll see the whole idea of Romans 7 is the man is sin conscious. Constantly, what more can I do? I want to do and I don't do. And it's constantly his thoughts and his energy towards the idea of sin, the issues of sin. But then in Galatians 2 verse 20, we have another phrase. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer I that work it out in Romans. He says, but it is Christ who dwells within me, Christ who lives within me. So notice carefully, sin can live in you and usurp and dominate and regulate your being, or my being can be indwelt by Christ and dominated by Christ, and I can be regulated by Christ. So notice here, just two texts. It's no longer I who live, but it's sin or it is Christ. So here's the question. After we are saved, who do you suppose should be the main living person within a Christian? Christ. Christ. Yeah, no longer I, but Christ. I find it interesting that so often I am saved by Christ, but I don't learn to live by the indwelling Christ. And if you recall the very few introductory messages, those very first introductory messages I spoke to you about, we have a need for an indwelling Christ. We were born into this world through an indwelling sin, but what is salvation? What is redemption? We've been brought into an indwelling Christ. So as I live this transitory life and this transformative life, I've got to begin to live it by Christ on the inside of me. And no longer this idea of just going to live by a sin consciousness. We want to live by a justified peace, grace, uh, life, resurrection, Christ consciousness. Amen? Amen? If you study Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 carefully, a pattern will evolve from it. If you zoom out a little bit from those chapters, you will see Paul is identifying uh, several ways that we can live in these chapters, notably chapter 5. In chapter 5 of Romans, Paul describes the life and the reality of a person that is in Adam. And he was the first man from this earth. And that man, Adam, is also described in the sister passage in 1 Corinthians. But it's as though Paul is identifying all of mankind in the man, Adam. And they have that consciousness of the forefather, Adam, 
and the sin and the death that came through that man. And so in Romans chapter 5, Paul is basically saying we are a byproduct of that man's transgression, that man's sin, that man's disobedience, and the death that happened to him spread to us. So we are, in Romans 5, fully identified with Adam. But in Romans 6, Paul changes gears. In Romans 6, he tries to impress upon uh, the Roman Christians that we've been redeemed from the Adamic life. I'm no longer in that Adam. I'm no longer under his disobedience and his transgression and his rebellion and his sin and his death. I have been transferred into the life and the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. Amen! That's Romans 6 in a nutshell. I've been buried with Christ. I've been risen with Christ. He lives in me. I live in Him. I reckon myself dead to sin. Come with me now to Romans chapter 6. Come with me to Romans 6. And let me show you this remarkable verse here that shows you how the Apostle Paul is wanting me to begin to think and live and act and move. Chapter 6 is a whole chapter on identification, not with Adam, but with Jesus Christ. So look at verses 6, for instance. Paul says, Knowing this, that our old man has been crucified with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be done away with, might be annulled, might be rendered inoperative, that we should no longer serve sin as, as slaves. Notice Paul's contention here. You died with Christ to the old Adamic life. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer a victim. You're no longer a sinner. He said, you ought to know this. Look at verse 11. He says, also now, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but living to God. That word reckoning in your Bible is probably count yourselves according to the truth of being in Christ versus being in sin. Beloved, this has got to do with a consciousness within you. Reckon yourselves according to the new reality. No longer count yourselves according to the old reality. So we are no longer in sin, the slaves of sin, dead because of sin, caught in the transgression of sin. We should begin to think along the lines of Christ in me and myself in Christ. Amen. So he describes our life in reality in the person of Christ who was the last Adam and the heavenly man. You may remember in Colossians how Paul would say to us, set your mind on the things which are above. Begin to tell your mind, I'm no longer an Egyptian slave. I'm no longer stuck in bondage. I'm no longer a victim. I'm no longer under the influence predominantly of sin. I do commit sin occasionally. But beloved, you're no longer a sinner. 
All that you now do is commit acts of sin. And I'm not sure if people have taught you this, but there's a difference between uh, being a sinner and committing sin. We are intrinsically sinners who commit acts of sin. So when Christ died, He forgave you of your acts of sin. But He took you, the sinner, and crucified the sinner, the identity of the sinner, and you died in Him, so that you can have a new identity of Son of God, the righteousness of God. But now, I am the Son of God, new identity, but I still commit acts of sin. But that does not make me a sinner anymore. I'm the Son of God who just chose very unwisely at times. Can you follow with me? So Paul is trying to say, set your mind on the heavenly things, the new reality of being in Jesus Christ. We see the same pattern then develop in Romans chapter 7 and in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7 describes the life and the reality of a person who is in the self and in the law. And there are approximately 44 self-pronouns in this chapter. In Romans chapter 7, it's all about I and me and myself. And some 44 times, he referenced the self-pronoun and how the self relates to the law. Can you see in Romans 7, he is self-conscious, sin-conscious. I've got to do something conscious. I've got to not do something conscious. Can you all follow with me? And I need you to flip to Romans chapter 7 and see how this adds up in Paul's experience. So Romans chapter 7 is all about I, 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 me, me, me. And I watch us, I watch myself as a Christian who is so self-centric, egocentric, I-centric. What can I do? What should I not do? Where should I go? Um, what is, how does God think about me? And it's just all about me. And it's my consciousness is still not Christ. My consciousness has swapped from being a sinner to a person trying to do good and keep the law. And if you come now to verse 24, exasperated, Paul would say, wretched and miserable man that I am. Notice that phrase in verse 24 of Romans 7. Wretched and miserable man that I am. Does that sound like the victorious Christian life to y'all? This is a man that is so self-focused because he's self-conscious. His sin consciousness is, is predominant within him. And I tell you, here is your answer to spiritual depression. Not biological, physiological depression. We all have in our physiology at times things that don't work right for us and we can lapse into biological, physiological depression. Do you all know what I'm saying? 
Okay, we all have that. I've got bad days, you've got bad days. We have euphoric, ecstatic days. We have not so good days. And emotionally we are affected and physiologically we can be affected. But beloved, this is a man that's telling us there's such a thing as spiritual depression. And how does spiritual depression come about? From a man who is striving, a man who's constantly evaluating and adding up the things that he has done, should do, should not do. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says we should count ourselves dead. But here in Romans 7, he counts himself very much um, doing, striving, and notice the result of an ego driven, self-absorbed, narcissistic spirituality. He says, wretched man that I am. Beloved, people are not to be shamed for, for physiological depression. Don't you dare ever tell somebody that's in a funk, in a cloud, in difficulty. They're sinners. They're, they should just trust more. It's the same as you were to say to me, uh, Francois, you should just believe God for your eyes. Why do you need those glasses? I want to tell you all, I may struggle with my eyes to see at age 45, um, but I think each one of us have physiological hiccups. Each one of you have got, you've got something off. None of us are as strong as we think we are. Bodily speaking, physiologically, anatomically speaking, um, I've never seen a healed person, personally. I have seen people, a couple of people, miraculously healed. I'm actually a testimony of a miraculous healing. But everybody that has been miraculously healed, are you aware of the fact that there's another thorn in their flesh? There's another hiccup. There's another... Have you noticed they die? The selfsame people raised from the dead, like Lazarus? He was like, shoot, i got to go through this again? Show me a healed person, yet the Bible says, by his stripes we are... So how do you reconcile that? I've never met a healed person. And don't think that because we healed her from this cancer or she got delivered from that sickness and malaria, oh, now they're a healed person. But just around the corner, something else will trip them up physiologically. We live in a fragile physiological condition. And have you noticed you guys are beginning to get gray? That's why you've got to pluck those hairs and color that head of hair of yours, because it's decaying. Actually, as we're sitting here, we are in the process of decay. The fountain of youth does not apply to our physiology. Amen? No matter how much serum you slap on your eyes, Hannah, <laughs> it, it's not going to work for you. You can inject Botox all day long. You're going down, baby. And of course, we don't want to make peace with that. But um, just hear it from a man. God heals, but nobody is healed. So stop judging people for the weaknesses in their bodies. Uh, we all are like Jacob. We all walk with a limp in some way, shape, and form in our bodies. Can you all follow with me? Yeah. That does not mean you are not redeemed. 
That does not mean you don't have faith in God at all. Like, y'all, I love God. And He's my Father and I worship Him, but currently I cannot see close anymore. But I don't feel shame that I take glasses to help me see better. And neither should we in our physiological depression at times feel bad for taking and doing whatever it takes to be better, to be balanced, to be stable. Can you all follow with me? I watch Christians shame each other and um, I cannot do this in this moment. I can't shame you. Why? Because I have weaknesses too. And so praise the Lord for science that can help us, etc., etc. Now, can God heal me from my eyes? Amen. I would like that. That would be nice, like He healed me from my shoulder. The point I want to make is even though you and I live in a body of humiliation, Paul calls it, even though we live in a fragile physiological state, Paul's burden is not that we are wretched in our spirit, but strong in our spirit. And so it is possible to live the Christian life with a broken body, a decaying body, even physiologically struggling at times. But according to the New Testament, we can be strong spiritually and we should not lapse into spiritual brokenness. We can have thorns in the flesh. We can have weaknesses and humiliation and fragility in our humanity. And um, that is okay. If you're struggling physically, I, I think that is okay. But according to the New Testament, we should not be struggling spiritually. And here, Paul says, wretched man that I am. That is a sigh of desperation. That is spiritual depression. Why? Because the man is fixating on the self to do better, to, 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 to shape up, to reform, and to, to be positive thinking. And all of this is wearing the man out. And I've noticed folk that spiritually are more sick than they are physically. Why? Because of the self-consciousness. What can I do? What should I avoid? Verse 24 there is spiritual depression. There's such a thing. Because you're not measuring up. You're not reaching that bar that you set for yourself. And the law of God, that's the bar of all bars. We can't keep that. And so he says, wretched man that I am. And I want you to notice verse 24. The second part of that verse. I hope you see this. He says, who will deliver me from this bondage, this body of death? Notice he says, who? And he changes from the self to another person. He changes from the self, not to another method, by saying, what will deliver me? He says, who? And this is what Paul wants us to see. To get spiritually whole, you have to turn to your crucifixion with Christ. Reckon yourself buried with Christ. Reckon yourself dead to sin so that you now are alive in Him. This person, this who? Romans chapter 7 is just a man that is totally redeemed, but he's still living in the self-awareness, self-capability, etc., etc., compared to Romans chapter 8. This describes the life and the reality of a person who is in the Holy Spirit. See, in chapter 7, 
we are in the self and in the law. In chapter 8, we are in the Holy Spirit and there's a contradiction. And you'll notice that Romans chapter 8 has 57 God-specific pronouns. 44 self-pronouns, 57 God-pronouns. So you see the mindset of a man in Romans 7 is about me. And the mindset of the man in Romans 8, it's all about God. There's only two self-pronouns, if you can count it, in the original language in Romans 8. bring your attention to another aspect of the spiritual life that can live within you, and that is grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul speaks about this grace that now lives within him. As we have said just a minute ago, it's either sin that lives within you, or it is Christ who lives within you. But I want to point out just one more entity living within you, and it is grace. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Beloved, we come into this world not living, but sin living within us. And then we have a transition where it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And then as we grow in the spiritual life, I believe we can say likewise with the Apostle Paul, I am in Christ it's no longer I who live, but He lives within me. And who I have become, what I've been able to accomplish in Christ, how Christ has changed me and transformed me, and furthermore, how He has used me in His kingdom, it's not me. It's not I. It is the grace of Christ within me. On the negative side, we have only sin that lives within us. But on the positive side, we have Christ who lives within us. And how does He live within us practically? Through His amazing grace. See, our amazing grace is not just at the inception of our spiritual lives. Amazing grace is for the duration of our spiritual lives. It is no longer I who live, but it is the grace of God who lives within me. Beloved, are you conscious of predominantly sin who lives within you or of Christ who lives within you through his endless, inexhaustible grace? 